0: everybody and welcome to the man up to cancer podcast Uh, i am joined today by two of our our special canadian contingent from man up to cancer and the howling place well-known beloved in our howling place group uh, for man up to cancer we have jay abramovich from south mountain ontario and jason manuge from kingston ontario um guys welcome
1: to the show thanks for having us
2: Yeah, thanks so much. Super pumped to uh, super pumped to be on. And it's awesome, Phil, to rep Canada.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Wait, I got to get my flag (laughs) up. Hold on. (laughs) I know that this is an audio show. And there's no video, but but I got to get this out for these guys. (laughs) I am literally waving the Canadian flag right now. This was given to me at the first gathering of wolves, uh, Mm. men's cancer retreat uh by the canadian contingent so i keep it on my desk yeah. along with my uh my citizenship is up there which i can show at the border it's very legit yeah,
1: yeah for those listening to he he actually does have a flag that he's showing so we, we'll keep modest <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> right there's no trickery yeah. here um so we were talking before we came on live here today that you're fairly close um tell us about uh sort of your hometowns and is that where you're from originally uh jay why don't you go first
2: yeah, sure. So um, I actually grew up in Montreal, Canada, um, and I lived there till I was about 12. And then at that time, there was a bunch of the French-English separation kind of drama going on there. Um, and being a English-speaking family, my parents thought it was kind of the best for my brother, myself, our future in general to kind of get out at that time. So we moved to Ottawa, and we basically have been there ever since, and then when I ended up meeting um, my wife Leslie, we decided to move out rural. Uh, we both kind of had enough of the city. She grew up rural as a kid, so we found herself in South Mountain. That's just about uh, just about 45 minutes um, outside of the city.
0: And so uh, before we get to Jay's, I just have to say that um, I was under the impression for like knowing Jay for like, the past like, I don't know, how many years, like three, four <laughs> yeah. years that, that he lived you know in a mountain resort area maybe maybe there's like skiing and everything and come to find out my my dreams were crushed when i learned that south mountain is not mountainous you can confirm this jay it,
2: it is as flat for as far as the eye could see and we have agricultural fields for as far like for i'll even say miles and miles for all the americans listening
0: Was some like founding father just like totally fucking with us at that point? Just like, yeah, Jason. they're both nodding their heads.
2: Yeah, uh, a (laughs) hundred percent.
0: All right. So, Jason, you are to the south of Jay. Tell us about your town of Kingston or city.
1: So I live in the city of Kingston, which is uh, about 45 minutes north of um, the Canada U.S. border. Um, and about an hour and a half from Jay. So the odd time we actually get to hang out and see each other. Um, I'm a transplant to Kingston, so I did not grow up here. Uh, I'm an army brat. And so I've spent a lot of time living in various places, including, you know, abroad uh, in, in Yugoslavia, up in the Northwest Territories. I've seen my share of Canada for sure, having you know traveled through all the different provinces and uh, having seen all the territories. Um, but I actually moved to Kingston in adulthood because I wanted to pursue higher education. And uh, we're home to uh, a college and, and university, uh, Queen's University and St. Lawrence College. So I ended up doing that uh, pursuing post secondary uh in my sort of early twenties because didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and uh I I've called it home ever since.
0: And and how old are each one of you?
1: I am thirty six presently.
2: Yeah, and I'm uh I'm thirty
1: nine. Okay.
0: So at forty seven I guess I'm the older guy to get yeah. fucking colon cancer, but yeah. like I got it at forty one. Um the three of us, I didn't say this at the top, the three of us are all colon cancer, insert your terminology here, um, survivors, thrivers, patients, mm-hmm. people, whatever. Um, so what? let's get into a little bit about your cancer journeys. How old, uh, Jay, were you when you got the diagnosis? Yeah, so I was diagnosed when I was 36 um, with
2: stage 3B colon cancer. Um, and yeah, at the time, um, very, very few symptoms, almost none. Um, just, you know, like we hear a lot of the younger folks get diagnosed like that. Um, I, uh, I went through the standard, uh, surgery chemo for six months. You know, I was a lucky recipient to full Fox. <laughs> uh, <was> that... <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and there's always talk of that. I mean, anyone in the colon cancer community or even beyond know all about full Fox, Um, I got through all that quite successfully. Um, I was declared NED in September
0: of 2021. And, And, and for anyone listening who doesn't know the, our acronyms, uh, NED is no evidence of disease. It's kind of the newer term for remission because I think remission kind of implies that it's always going to be coming back. But NED is the place where we all want to be. And sometimes we say, isn't it beautiful to live in Nedville? So yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Jay, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely.
2: So I was, uh, I was declared Ned. Um, I I was kind of onto survivorship at that point. You know, I was, I 100% thought uh, with the reality that I knew 3B is a bit higher risk. You know, the, the statistics are still great, but there's definitely some higher risk to reoccurrence there. Um, but I thought I was good. Like, I, you know, I was, I was kind of on the other side of things. I was getting back to life, learning who I was post-cancer because, you know, any patients or anyone that's been through it know that you're definitely not the same person you were after. Um, I had to figure out what I wanted to do. All my priorities changed. I was doing a ton of, connect, like a ton of counseling, you know, mental health and the anxiety and depression hit me like a truck, I think, about, I'd say a month after treatment finished, um, was probably the hardest span for me for about half a year at that point. Um, when all the appointments and phone calls and all the attention from everybody essentially stopped and everything went quiet, um, you're kind of left in no man's land, right? So (laughs) fortunately, um, I had men up to cancer, you know, to, and all, you know, the guys here to fall back on, I had a couple other great organizations, you know, here in in Canada that, you know, a very big, been a very big part of my journey, um, give a quick shout out there to young adults cancer canada and colorectal cancer canada and SIRAN and all of them you know they they deserve the props there from us here they do great work for us um but essentially i was figuring out how to live again and um i was doing my three-month scans for a year everything was coming back clean cea was great um although it was never a marker for me it, it has not changed since day one so i guess it doesn't really do anything for me but In the eyes of the studies i mean that's great because i'm in the normal range right so (laughs) but um i guess so fast forward to last year i was graduated to six year or six month uh six month follow-up appointments and i was doing really well like a lot of the side effects from neuropathy and all that kind of stuff was really diminishing um i was in a space where i was really figuring out how to live again and i was i was really finding out who i was getting comfortable with the whole survivorship thing and kind of just living life again for the fact, like for the, I guess the simplest way to put it as I kind of found my new normal and, uh, totally out of the blue this past September, um, on a set of scans, a lung nodule popped up, unfortunately, um, in my right lower lobe. And it's an unconfirmed mat because we decided not to biopsy it and I'm not going to go into those details kind of today, but all in all, there's a very good chance and very high likelihood that it's a met for my, uh, for my colon cancer. Um, so from that, I had to do a whole bunch of, I kind of went into J advocate mode and kind of kicked some doors in and took some names and got second opinions and talked to a whole bunch of people um, and ended up saving myself from a pretty large surgery and kind of got away with 45 minutes of SBRT that essentially... <laughs> could do the same thing which i think is kind of cool. Um so you know i'm pr- i'm pretty proud of that one. That was a big that was a big kind of save for me in my journey. It, it kind of you know it saved a pretty intrusive surgery um that would have taken a lot of lung outs and i'm a pretty active guy and i like my lungs and i need my lungs and you know i felt it was unnecessary for the size of the tumor. We're talking we were talking about an isolated, you know, at the time, 16 millimeter tumor, which in cancer land is not very big um, in the tumor world. And to lose a whole bunch of lung function for that, I just didn't see that as acceptable. So I kind of did my homework. I made some phone calls. I, you know, pushed and I got second opinions and I was bothering the heck out of my team. And I love my team. I will say like, they're, they're amazing. They've got my back. Um, it's just, we all know, like, The situation is unique. It's not very often where you just have a random lung met pop up. Like there's really no, it's not like the liver where there's very standard of care kind of steps to take. It's very much like up to your oncologist and you and, you know, your team's opinion of what the best route to take is. I'm learning that there's no, there's no standard of care for this type of situation. So it's very much trial and error and really having to trust your people and doing your homework with the steps you take, right? So I decided to do SBRT. Um, I did that in November. So currently right now, um, I'm waiting for scans next week. Actually, I go in next Thursday. And those are pretty big ones because that's going to kind of, you know, show if I'm technically back to NED and we're back to just watching that to make sure nothing changes. Or if, you know, my team sees something they're not 100% sold on and we have to kind of look at things further. So I'm kind of just playing the uh, scan anxiety game right now and just trying to wait it out and not uh, jump to that headspace too quickly because I still got a week to go here, so I don't want to have that just overhaul my week, but we all uh, anybody anybody listening that knows the scan game, we all know how that goes.
1: <laughs> brutal, oh, yeah. Oh yeah,
0: the scan game, big time. so yeah I, I'll have to say, as you can listen to uh, Jay Speak, you understand that he is an informed educated, uh, empowered patient. Uh, and that applies to Jason as well. He's going to go next, but these guys have taken the bull by the horns and realized that, you know, the, the, the medical industrial complex is not going to, uh, you know, Hey, we love our providers. We love our institutions. They keep us alive. But man, as a patient, if you do not empower yourself, if you don't learn about it, if you don't become part of your decision-making team, you're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage. And I think everyone, I think we can all agree on that. Um, So we're going to pass the ball over to Jason to talk a little bit about his journey.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, just a reminder that like nobody cares about your health as much as you do. So um, when I was diagnosed at the age of 34, which was in February of 2022, um, my diagnosis came at stage 3C. So I did my mandatory full Fox as many of the CRC colorectal cancer people have and uh, live with sort of the neuropathy that, you know, accompanied that even still. So I finished my six months of chemotherapy and I had a recurrence on my first set of surveillance scans. So basically six months after I was uh, declared NED, I had a bunch of METs uh, metastases pop up on my liver. Um, most recent count, we're into the 40s. There are a lot of them. So mm. I'm not a surgical candidate. Uh, and I had plans to undertake some clinical trials. Uh, but in the time that it took for me to do the pre trial scanning, I ended up having further progression of my metastases into my spine and some of my bones. So... Currently, I do have, you know metastatic refractory colon cancer. Mine was high risk from day one. I think that it's worth mentioning that uh, I was diagnosed with um, a very heavy Signet cell um, presence, and, and that tends to be treatment resistant. Um, and knowing that off the bat, I, I opted to go as aggressive as I possibly could uh, throughout you know my course of treatment and everything. The sort of latest and greatest of where I am is that I have undergone a lot of chemotherapy. Um, I'm now on oral chemotherapy, which is my third line of treatment. And uh, I, I, like Jay, underwent some uh, SBRT radiation from a pain management standpoint. So... Uh, as I'm sure folks can imagine or know, when you are dealing with compression fractures in your spine from you know, cancerous lesions pushing your bones together, things get quite uncomfortable quite quickly. And so that stereotactic body uh, radiation therapy was extremely helpful in uh, pain control. So my most recent batch of that was, um, you know, less than a month ago, I think three weeks ago as this is recorded. And so I'm kind of in the throes of like restarting chemotherapy uh, because I had to take a break for the radiation um, and uh, and and sort of dealing with now the kind of time-delayed effects of um, having had that radiotherapy.
0: So you guys, you know... <laughs> We're, we're three young, young, relatively young men sitting here talking about, you know, the wars and the trenches of colorectal cancer. And it it's just it just it just dawns on me. It's like, wow, like, as we know, young onset is, is on the rise. we got to mention that. Right. I mean, it just when, look at us. We should be in the prime of our lives. And here we are trying to stay alive. And yeah. it's um, I just think, you know, for anyone out there listening like. I could get on my soapbox about making sure you're up on these things. But anyways, I'm going to save that for another show, because today we're here to talk about friendship, um, you know, and, and and I want to talk about your friendship, obviously, specifically. Um, when did you kind of cross paths and like get to know of each other and, and maybe reach out to uh, start a conversation?
1: Hmm. I think um, if my memory serves and Jay, you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, hmm. but I'm pretty sure that uh, we headed off through some of the Man Up to Cancer Zoom meetings, uh, Zoom biweeklies, just kind of mm-hmm. chatted through that. And then as we were getting prepared to travel down to the inaugural gathering of wolves, a couple of us uh, were planning to carpool down together. So we met up for kind of like a vibe check uh, to see if we <laughs> wanted to spend you know, five and a half hours in a vehicle together.
0: Let right. me guess. It was at a, Tim Hortons.
1: It wasn't. Uh, it, it was actually <laughs> at a nice little, nice little um, pub. Uh, I don't know. I can't oh, speak for all Canadians, but <laughs> Tim Hortons isn't that big of a deal to us, um, which may come as a surprise. But yeah, I'm regardless, not I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. But a pub, but a
0: pub's e- a pub's even better. So yeah. you met there. I w- yeah.
1: Um,
2: I will say though that this meeting was super crucial because. Um, this was the meeting that we went to to like <clears throat> make sure our wives knew that we were not going to the to the u s to the middle of the woods with complete random strangers, <laughs> right We were still somewhat safe um uh, but yes we uh as Jason said, yeah, it was uh everything kinda i mean travel you'll you'll laugh at this, but it did happen quite organically, like I remember just Jason and I realized like you know, on our Zoom titles, it's, oh, Ottawa, Kingston. And of course, like the little chat starts like, hey man, you're like an hour and a half away. And we would just start chatting briefly. But then I think, you know, we, the cool thing was is we started sharing resources. Like there's a couple other really neat organizations in Canada for CRC folks that I think we each introduced each other to one of them, like to a major one. And now we're both fairly involved in them (laughs) as well. So it was a kind of a neat it was just neat how it happened. And that was all just because we were on a Zoom call, right? One night with man up to cancer and we realized like we're an hour, we're literally an hour and a half away from each other.
1: Yeah. Like a close proximity, yeah. uh, very similar diagnosis. And then I think one of the things that also sort of helped our friendship blossom was the advocacy piece as well. Uh, you know, I know that's not sort of the focus of today, but advocacy has been like, I think a huge part of both Jay's and my life. And as he mentioned, we basically introduced each other to these like large Canadian um, colorectal cancer uh, focused organizations. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that um, I volunteer more for one of them and Jay volunteers more (laughs) for the other, but that we're both you know, very active in in those organizations and really believe in what um, uh, CCRN and uh, Colorectal Cancer Canada do. Um, So that resource sharing became more of like a, oh, like, uh, this is what I'm trying to work on for advocacy. Like, do you know anything about that? Do you know who I can talk to because I want to volunteer and help out?
0: Yeah, let's dig into that then. So, like, at what point for you, Jason, did you in your journey, did you start thinking like, Hey, I have something to give in this cancer space. Like I want to get involved in advocacy, not only to learn for myself, but to pass things on to others and maybe help help others as they're going through it.
1: Yeah. Context is important here. So my mother died of colorectal cancer in 2016. And so when I found myself diagnosed, I Looked at advocacy as a way to be able to use this terrible experience for, hopefully, something good. Hmm. I also recognized that in my younger years, when I was you know processing my mother's passing and everything, she died, and I didn't really deal with it well. Like I, I bottled it up inside. I didn't talk to anybody about it. And I knew that going through it myself, um, quite selfishly I knew that I'd need to lean on people, but I also thought that given my experience as both a cancer haver and a former cancer caregiver, that perhaps I would have something to offer in terms of providing patient perspective or caregiver perspective from an advocacy standpoint. And uh, the short answer is I knew immediately that I wanted to do something.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. That. That's that's a tribute um, to your mom too. Um, Jay. What about you? Uh, was there a certain because I know personally for me, like it, it took me a while to get there. Like it definitely wasn't I, I went through a lot before that kind of clicked in. Um, so Jay, what's what was your take on getting involved?
2: Yeah, so I guess I come from the complete opposite of Jason, where I had before my diagnosis, I had zero exposure to cancer in my family. Like my grandma had a breast cancer, like when we were young, like there was really no, we don't have a big family history of cancer. Like I was not really exposed to it until my diagnosis. Sure. We, like it was a very, it was there, but very unknown to me. Um, so when I got hit with my diagnosis, um, I very early on, like, of course, being a guy, being a young adult, there was like all these, all these categories that there's nothing for out there, right? Like that this, is, this system is not designed for a 36 year old young adult male to navigate through, right? The supports are not designed for that. So I did my own homework. Like I, you know, I was fortunate in Ottawa here, we have a wicked foundation, um, like the Ottawa Regional Cancer Foundation that we're connected with, uh, that Man f to Cancer is with, you know, we're hosting yep. chats there as well in the new year. They helped me out so much. Um, They actually introduced me to Young Adult Cancer Canada, who we're also connected to, and we've done stuff with, that, you know, they got me introduced to their peer support chats. And early on, I was going to probably three or four a week, like every night I was on something. And for, I would say, a good solid three, four months, that was my main, like that was keeping me afloat, like to be able to connect with other young adults that get it, a place to talk, a place to, you know, all that stuff that we all talk about every day that's so important um, for that connection and emotional support and just people that understand. Um, I, st- I I quickly realized how powerful it was. And I think naturally, I just became very involved in that community. Um, and I was asked to speak a couple times at a couple of events. Um, one day I was randomly asked to, just facilitate a chat because one of the chat leaders was sick they had to go to a merge, what have you and i got a quick sec like a message saying hey can you step in tonight and i was like holy crap <laughs> like i don't know can i um just because folks in man up to cancer like that know me i'm very introverted right like i'm a very quiet person um I'm a, I don't like big things, I but cancer kind of changed that. Like I found a skill in myself that I didn't realize I had and that I wasn't necessarily confident in until cancer kind of presented the opportunity for me to be in front of a lot of people and talk and, you know, something that I am very passionate about. So that kind of led to me volunteering with them. And I was facilitating probably one or two chats a week for quite a while. Um, and that presented a whole bunch of opportunities. Like I was doing podcasts and interviews and all these Canadian organizations were kind of cherry picking me because as Jason knows, like young adult males don't talk about this stuff. So as soon as they find out you do, you're getting emails left, right, and center to kind of talk. Right. So (laughs) yeah. And I I quickly learned that it felt really good. Like it was nice to be able to help people, but I think it's worth mentioning too, that it was very therapeutic for me also. Right. Like even though I was facilitating chats or sometimes I was doing peer support, it was still giving me an outlet to go through what I was going through, right? So it's it was kind of a two-way street. So it was a win-win, right? And that kind of just led to (laughs) volunteering with a bunch of folks, right? Like doing some pretty amazing stuff. And now, you know, being a little more heavily involved with obviously men up to cancer um, on the leadership team. But regardless what I do, right? That advocacy and public speaking and awareness and that peer support, like it's just such a, it's a natural passion because I love to help, but it also helps me. Right. So it's a it's a win win for kind of everybody.
0: Yeah, it's just funny to like for me to hear you talk about being a shy guy, because I just remember this guy getting up in the first G.O.W. and standing in front of the entire uh, <laughs> attendance and talking about, you know, the banner and like all this stuff yeah. and just like commanding that space. So it's like. You know, I see that that's come out of you. And I should have said at the top, but I was so eager to dive into this conversation <laughs> that um, that I should have said at the top that Jay is now the director of of the gathering of Wolves Men's Cancer Retreat, the largest men's cancer retreat in the world. <laughs> and he is the director of that for this year. And that's because and he's also been that's because he's done several stepping stone roles within Man Up to Cancer, um, you know, as a volunteer. And so thank you for everything that you do for us. Um. When I got diagnosed at 41, I I want to circle in your friendship, and I just I, I wanted to start this by saying like when I got dosed diagnosed at 41, I thought who the hell gets diagnosed with colon cancer at 41? I had no idea. I'm like who who does this happen to? Thank God there was groups out there right at the time. That oh shit it's a lot of people. Hmm. You know you might not have them in your hometown, they might not be so close, but like there's thousands of us. Um. So I wanted to ask you one by one. We were talking about sort of the macro level of these organizations and advocacy, but tell me about the micro level of your specific friendship and how that has played a role in you, you know, socially managing. I mean, all around to have this person right around your age, similar diagnosis, similar uh, close to you. Tell me the impact that that's had on you. Go ahead, Jay.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's. You know, I was trying to kind of prepare for this today because I know, I I assumed, like, I knew that was going to be a question that was coming, right? Obviously, we're talking about friendship and I've been thinking about this for a while and you just can't, like, I'm going to do my best to put it into words, right? Because I think this type of stuff is really hard to kind of really express 100% what this stuff does, right? But I will say I have a very distinct, I'll start off and maybe this will explain a little bit, is I have a very distinct memory of one of our very early-on conversations. And we were on that Zoom chat. And you know, Jason, you were introducing yourself, you were saying a bit about your story. And I had this immediate like, holy shit, this guy's like two years younger than me, and he's like an hour away. Right. So at that point, um, and we know this is a this is an ongoing issue, but a lot of the groups I was in were very female heavy and that's okay. That's okay. Like they helped me a lot. Like I support them. I love them. There's nothing wrong with that, sure. but I was still missing something. Right. As we all know, like that male, male bond is different. Right. And I automatically was like, I got to reach out to this guy. And for, for me mm-hmm. to do that is a big, like I said, like, I don't do that very well. I do now, but at that time, that, that was a big deal for me to reach out. Yeah. But It was the fact that I had that automatic, like this guy has a very similar diagnosis, you know, just around the same age. We're literally an hour and a half away. It was almost this, like, I remember it almost being this, like, sense of comfort and one of the very first senses in my journey where I've, like, I found my people, right, where man, Mm -hmm. like, that I really was like, all right, like, you know, and of course, like, it's early, you don't know people, but that slowly kind of, you know, we talked a lot. Like I know Jay was, mm-hmm. Jason was like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but was literally like two or three months behind where I was in my diagnosis. So like when I was, yeah. reco- when I was recovering from surgery, Jason was gearing up for his, right? When I was starting my chemotherapy, <clears throat> Jason was recovering and gearing up for Folfax. So like we had a lot of that like back and forth of little tips and tricks and what to expect. And, you know, just a lot of that information sharing. And, of course, like, that naturally turned into talking about just life, (laughs) right? Like, it it just very much went away from cancer. And Mm -hmm. we ended up talking regularly, like, probably two, three, like, I think, well, two years, almost three, actually. um, Yeah. Like, daily, right? Like, very, like, Mm -hmm. I think we message almost daily. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And we've... I know I could say for myself, like, and we've done it. We'll, we'll get in the car and drive the hour and a half for each other if we have to, right? Like, we'll be there. Mm-hmm. We've visited each other, you know, during some pretty tough times at the hospitals and house visits. And, you know, we've obviously had our share of awesome meetups out in the community with our local chapters and stuff that we shift around the area just to try to be a little central to people. But
1: mm-hmm.
2: I, I still, it's, it's that comfort. It's that knowing that there's somebody so light, like so like me, yes, we're different, we're individual, but we're a unique niche of our age, our demographic, you know, and to have that almost, it was like that, it was like that, almost that flotation device within an arm's reach that you know if you really needed it and you were really in the shit one day that you have somebody that gets you, knows you in a very similar situation that's like right there, right? And yeah. I very much remember that first, realization of that and it providing just this sense of comfort. And I think that's, you know, how it all started, I guess. That's the best way I think I could really put it into words. Um, Well, you said you couldn't put it into
0: words. and I'm pretty sure you just (laughs) did.
2: And really from there, it just took a natural course of how friendships develop. Right. And of course we all know that going through something like cancer really intensifies and speeds that kind of stuff along because there's most, there's no small talk. You're dealing like, you're talking about some yes. serious, big, scary stuff. Um, you know, you bond, you get close real quick, as we all know. Um, and I mean, I'm just super grateful. Like, it's been, I don't know, it's just been such a privilege and an honor. And just, I know how lucky I am, because not everybody has that. Um, so I mean, I could say it like, in a selfish way, like, we're just riding, riding it out. like, we're just enjoying it, because it's such a, it's such a blessing to have on a journey like this, you know, folks like that around you that you will know will drop anything for you in a heartbeat.
1: I think too, like, one of the things that I, I've said to folks before is like, you know, a person's cancer is the least interesting thing about them. And I feel like if, you know, Jay and I had crossed paths a different way, we probably still would have ended up, being friends right and absolutely I I think it's worth just you know uh, we've done a lot of different meetups and stuff together we've we did like a a fundraiser walk where like friends and family came and everything too like um, we did all kinds of different things um, that are some of them are cancer related some of them aren't but the uh, the main thing that I think Jay touched on that I really agree with is the fact that there's this person who is, is basically just, we're in the same boat, right? Essentially. And early on, like, I think this, this tends to be a pattern that I see anyways, is that as you start talking to people and you start finding your, you know, friends in cancer land, sometimes it's because you're the one that's out there looking for support. And it becomes like this reciprocal thing where, you know, maybe today I need, a, I need something. Maybe tomorrow you need something. Um, and so you end up being in a position where you kind of just help each other in unexpected ways. Sometimes um, I know Jay and, uh, and Gary um, from, the southeastern ontario chapter uh, a couple weekends ago uh, you know they came to visit me we had lunch in my living room and hung out and you know they've met my spouse and stuff like that and you know that's that's not a a thing that really you know happens in adulthood really like yeah you make new friends and stuff but it's it's always through like a sports or social club or like through work or something like that. And um, I think it's just really interesting because we all have these lives, um, you know, before and during cancer that have nothing to do with it. Like, you know, who are we, you know, in spite of the disease and then who are we because of it? And I think that uh, it kind of makes for some interesting conversations and, you know, Jay is not kidding sometimes it's it's deep cuts right like we're not talking about the weather we're just like you know uh, how do you cope with the fear of dying how do you like separate uh, how do you compartmentalize like anxiety so that it doesn't like overwhelm your day and stuff like that
0: send Um, me some notes on that one please Um, (laughs) it's sure can we do a quick shout out to Gary so Gary Pupa another core member of the, the auto of the Ontario crew. Are there any other um, folks there in Ontario that you guys have gotten to meet uh, yeah. through man up to cancer? Yeah. And go uh, ahead. And you can name, you can shout them out here.
1: I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Kevin Brown. Um, when he first joined man up to cancer uh, it was actually uh, you know, the late Gary Bledsoe had uh, Uh, connected us because at the time Gary was watching the new members and seeing where people were from and he saw that uh, Kevin and I were both from Kingston Um, and the first time that I actually met Kevin in person was at his first radiation appointment. Um, I had offered to go with him because his spouse couldn't and I just said hey man like you shouldn't have to do this alone. I don't know if this is weird, but if you'd like somebody to come with you, I'm happy to do that. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And, uh, yeah. And then, you know, um, the rest is kind of history.
0: Amazing. And that really touches on one of the bullet points. I, I asked you guys to sort of give me some ideas on, on what we might, you know, add to the conversation today. And one thing that came up was, was the, value of in-person connections and, and we all know that you know jay i've only seen you a couple times in, in real life but we have a great friendship so we know that we can make these friendships and they're really close online but um you know why don't you guys tell me about and jason you can start off like seeing someone in person especially like that when you can support them when they're going through some of the hardest things a person can go through that's a whole different ball game
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. It's a big deal. And I think one of the benefits of having, you know, the man up to cancer chapters that we've seen play out is just that, you know, Jay and I are here talking to you about our friendship, but this happens behind the scenes with hundreds, thousand guys. Right. And so, um, what I think is very valuable is the in-person stuff. It's not just about having fun and socializing and stuff. It's, it's also knowing that like if the shit hits the fan and somebody picks up that phone and calls, Mm. there's somebody on the other end of that phone call who will probably do everything they can to help you in whatever situation you're going through. And I think that's sort of the uh, the brotherhood aspect of uh, Men Up to Cancer is that we don't necessarily, you know, we're not all gonna be the best of friends, have all the same interests, um, same hobbies, et cetera. But I think that what makes it really powerful outside of sort of that, that type of friendship is just that uh, friendship aside, the brotherhood is there. And I know personally, like, you know, if there's anybody who's passing through or I see that they're in the neighborhood or whatever, it's just like, Hey, I see you're passing through. Want to grab a coffee? Want to grab a meal? Or, uh, you know, I'm really like going through the shit right now. Is anybody available to chat? And sometimes you are, and, and you end up kind of, you know, having that sort of different type of, of friendship or bond with somebody more of a, more of a supportive one, perhaps, but, um, supportive is the wrong word. Um, less reciprocal, uh, just more of a, uh, sure. Acute friendship where you're just like, you need somebody to lean on for like an hour right now and you can fill that void and and it feels good for you and feels good for the other person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Beautifully said. Um, Jay, your thoughts on these in-person get get together.
2: Yeah. So, I think as Jason was speaking and it really made me think of um, one of our brothers that we lost, unfortunately, that won their battles a short while ago, um, Danny Chatterton, right? He was a, he was a huge part of our chapter and, you know, he would come out for breakfast. There was a point where I was off on my paternity leave and Gary, I, Jason would come down sometimes, Danny, like it was weekly for a few months. And, he, he was always there. It, doesn't, it did not matter how crappy he was feeling. Um, as soon as, you know, I remember his wife telling us that when his phone would ring or the message would pop up and it would be one of us being like, hey, breakfast, he'd suddenly just pop up and would be like, all right, I'm good to go. Someone pick me up, right? And his wife was like, who are these guys? Because <laughs> right? we, and I mean, that was, I think, to just show, like, this is not... Like, this is not just, hey, how's your day going? Like, these are real deep friendships that, you know, are are cut in stone. Like, we have each other's backs. Like, we, a few of us went to Denis' funeral and sat there with his family. And it was, it was so overwhelming because we had his wife and family members coming up to us being like, oh, my gosh, like, you're the man after cancer, guys. Like, he talked about you guys so much. And, you know, thank you guys so much because it did, like... It gave him such a just peaceful, supportive place to deal with things, you know, and it allowed him to be a dad and a husband and not have a lot of that spill over onto his family because he had that outlet with us. Right. And mm. to sit at somebody's funeral that you really only knew for a few months and have gotten closer than people that I've known for my entire life,
0: yeah, you know, yeah. to
2: yeah. to know that you had that kind of bond with somebody and it goes beyond just the chats and the messages and you're having family tell, Oh, we know about you guys. Like that's pretty, like, that's, I remember kind of like it knocked me back almost like when you're hearing people talk like that, because we're so much, these relationships and friendships are so much larger and so much deeper and stronger than, we'll really even know until you hear things like that right (laughs)
0: yeah and that story is just so poignant and it it just brings out how meaningful these friendships really are Mm. um and at the same time i can hear the elephant creeping into the room when people listen to this they're going to say how do you do it you know how how do you get so close to these people and then go to their funerals and say goodbye like that like how do you handle the grief like isn't it just too much and this is a theme we talk about all the time in Man Up to cancer at GOW, everywhere we go around yeah you have got to pay a little bit of a price if you want to have these type of, type of friendships but that also means you're going to get the same right mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and 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 we talk about you know the grief we have in losing our brothers only being eclipsed by the joy we had in knowing them but we still we still have professionals out there you know professionals <laughs> people who aren't necessarily in the trenches with yeah. us mm-hmm. who who are saying watch out for those cancer groups, you know, don't get too close. Like you're just going to lose these people. And it's like, I hate to tell everyone this, but we're all going there. Right. Like (laughs) we may not be in control of when it is, but like, anyways, I'm talking too much on the subject. I want to hear what you guys think. Like Jason, as we talk about that, that theme, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. So I think what's interesting, right. Is that from the outside looking in, because so much of this is done virtually, uh, I think that people who aren't part of it don't really understand the significance of it. Right. Um. What I've felt is just a sense of a bit of disenfranchised grief in the sense that you can't really explain it to somebody. It's real. The friendships are real, even if sometimes they are you know, mostly virtual. Um, yeah. But that we, I mean, you said it well, right? Like, you know, it's worth, it's worth the sadness to have known a person. Um, we just need to make sure that we're aware of this grief and that we actually process it. So I'm a huge advocate of a ritual to close that chapter with that person. And it's not like forgetting them. It's just that you frankly can't spend so much time grieving when there's there's deaths in cancer land every day. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Amazingly said and when there's life to be lived right. Like Mm -hmm. I always try to say like when I think of The people that the the really good friends that I've lost when I get up, you know, I think of them and I smile and I'm like, what can I do today? Right. And but it's you're right, though, I think and I'm interested in learning more from you on that in terms of that ritual um, aspect of it, because I still struggle with it um, in terms of some of the lingering grief or, you know, the the cumulative grief, Mm because when you work, when you when you function in this space that's what it is. And so how do you not lose your sensitivity? Like how you still have those feelings, but you can't let them consume you or, or make it so that you can't continue to do the work and that you can't continue to live while you're going through cancer.
1: Hmm. You know, I think the best way that I can describe how to handle it is having compassion, but not necessarily empathy. I think it's really hard to, you have to sort of delineate between, uh, acknowledging that something's sad and that there's, there's nothing that you could have done personally to intervene or to change the outcome. Um, you can't like take on the responsibility of, you know, what happens to someone else. Um, and it's a skill, right? Like it's, it's hard to learn um, to not, you know, fully put yourself in that person's situation. Like, you know, the first thing that I know a lot of us do like, Oh, that's sad. Oh, I wonder how the family's doing and stuff like that. Um, and sometimes truthfully, it's better to grieve the person without going there. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and, and I know that might sound cold or what have you, but I think that, you know, our relationships are with the individual, and unless we know the rest of their story, unless we're involved in their lives in other ways, I think it's okay to just, you know, acknowledge them, share a remembrance of them. Um, you know, what I do is I, I, you know, we have the Man Up to Cancer lanterns that uh, that we we got at the Gathering of Wolves. and. Um, I use that as part of rituals for people in this group and outside of it. And I just take the lantern and I light it and I hold it up to my heart and I say the person's name and I reflect just a minute or two. And then I, I, I I close that lantern. And that is like what I mean by um, closing the chapter.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Jay, do you want to share some of how, what you're feeling right now, thinking about you know that particular issue?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's no it's it's no lie that for any of us, that's a very tough subject. You know, like to mm-hmm. to have to face your own mortality is something that we're not naturally supposed to do right let alone <laughs> have that shoved down your throat at a young age when you really should not be thinking about that at all right so um I think there's I feel there's two sides to that right like there's the the fear and the trauma and the worry like of it but I think there's also you know over my the last three or four years and all the work I'm doing and I'm you know I, I'd say I, I was gonna say unfortunately but being privileged enough to be around some of these amazing people towards the end of their lives and hear what they have to say and hear their inputs and their stories. And you know, like their oh, spot on. Yeah. Like yeah. their advice. Like I'm not that I'm not, not that I'm not, I'm not scared of it. It's still definitely a difficult topic for me, but um, just quick, like I come from a first responder background. So until cancer, like my relationship with death was always, gruesome and scary and painful. And like, it was always ugly, right? Like there was nothing nice about it because of what I saw on a regular basis. But having the privilege to talk to some of these guys going through that phase in their life, like there is a very peaceful, like, you know, beautiful thing about it, even though it's not something we want to happen to anybody, we don't want to have to lose anybody. But my relationship with it, has definitely changed. Um, I think one of the ways that I deal with it is um, <clears throat> somebody that um, I'll give actually a shout out. I know to Boyd here, who is a big runner. And, hey, you Boyd! Know, yeah, and something that because he helped me kind of get back, he got he helped me get my legs back under me. Like I was having a tough time getting back into it, and it's always been a very good therapeutic thing for me. And I remember he he shared this poster or this meme or whatever that whatever you call them with me. And it just basically said, run your own race. Right. Mm. And Mm. it was something very similar to what one of my therapists once said to me, which was, that's not my story. Right. So when a guy does pass away, or something, you know, difficult does happen to somebody that maybe has a similar diagnosis, or is very, you know, that I'm very close with, like, yes, it's sad. Yes, of course, it makes my mind go a million miles a minute. Like, I don't think any of us would be human if we said it didn't, right? Um, but there is that angle where you have to remember that that's not happening to me, right? And constantly kind of reminding myself of when we do experience these losses, and we do experience, you know, these, like you said, it's, it's cumulative trauma, no doubt, like, especially when you're more In the thick of this stuff and really involved like you do get exposed to this on a very deep level and i think slowly learning that there's that's not my story to tell like that's not happening to me that's theirs so i just try to support them honor them speak their name talk about them right like i've i know this is going to sound really weird but I'm going to say it anyway because I really don't care because I think it helped help people, is I find, like, when we have guys that are really in those, like, hospice situations or really near their end of life, like, I've made a point to reach out and have conversations with these guys, like, have phone calls, like, talk to them, right? Like, actually have conversations because some of them have been so just graciously open <laughs> and very like, so transparent that, like, it just gives me goosebumps like they you almost have this like i don't know how I, I don't know how to word it in I do not i don't i don't mean this in a dis, disrespectful way, but some of these guys that choose to be opened and that we're really close with we almost have this like inside this inside experience and this inside view of what that transition is like, and I think there's oh something gosh. like and I think there's something very therapeutic about that
0: right like <laughs> You're you're I I, I have to I have to come in and say one thing on that is that you're hitting it so so right on the head right now because and I don't know how things are in Canada too much because I never really lived there but I know in American culture there's a whole phase of human beings lives that is shut behind a door and they're put Mm -hmm. away and they're rejected like and it's called you know toward the end of life and Ironically, that is when some people have the most wisdom the most love the most the, all the insights like things to learn and we are Closing ourselves off to them. So it like I did a I did a, I interviewed Lee Silverstein mm-hmm. um, Yesterday at, for a podcast for next week and like the learning that happened for me mm-hmm. in that conversation I've been in the cancer space for s- almost six years, right and I'm come com- came away from that conversation just like Wow, like mm-hmm. I feel more prepared for my transition and like mm-hmm. where i'm headed someday like what a gift so sorry to jump in on that but jay you like sparked that in me and jason please feel free to mm. to add
1: i mean i think what i was going to add is is back to the brotherhood aspect of it um you know nobody has to take that final walk alone but then we support each other through those losses too so I think that that's like another important piece is just that mm. we grieve collectively yep. for people and that can help. I know I'm pointing, that they're
0: pointing at my goosebumps over yeah. here,
1: <laughs> you know, like sometimes that's, you know, one-on-one talking to somebody, swapping stories about a person who, who has died or Other times it's like acknowledging that person and doing kind of a round table on our favorite memories or whatever. Um, So the friendship and the brotherhood, it continues to show itself even, you know, in the face of loss and in the face of these events that I think, as Jay mentioned, outside of, you know, probably cancer groups and, and groups for people with other chronic or terminal illnesses like most right. of the time death is really graphic and brutal and violent and we find ourselves seeing some of the beauty and i think it's a great privilege to be able to know somebody well enough to have them let you into that space and and to be there for them and with them
0: dude absolutely yeah. and i we we I hate to cut this short because I, I think we got to get you guys onto the gauntlet, but like the past 10 minutes or so is a, is a deep cut that like this wasn't even on really on the radar for me in terms of what we were going to talk about. I'm so glad we did because again, like I, like I said with Lee, like open, honest conversations about this deep stuff is what people need to hear. And, uh, and hopefully we can start spark some more conversations with it. And I, if there's anything else that you guys want to say to, to finish it off, I'm open to it. Otherwise, I do have some questions that I need to get you guys uh, going with.
2: Yeah, no, I would just kind of, I guess I just would finish off or the last kind of little thing I'd want to say, right, is just what we have been able to, and this is, and yes, of course, we're biased. It's we're men up to cancer and, you know, it's a man up to cancer podcast. But I do think like, you know it is important for folks out there listening that are not in the howling place or a guy that have access you know that have access to this um like this is real like i think that's the big difference between you know a a platform that's like emotional and social support as opposed to and there's nothing wrong with each it just it has its place but i think we yes, we yeah. have had because of that it's created the platform to create these kind of friendships and these bonds right, yeah. right? and I, I the message I want to send is just this is real like these are not online relationships like I've you know like I guess to sum it up like my wife asks about guys right like she knows all, oh yeah she knows all about people like she came home the other night and we were on a quick call and she's like hey I know that voice who's that and I was like oh that's that's Gary right and like she know like oh that's who you drive like that's who you drive down and go for breakfast with and like so it's so beyond just the Howling Place and the messenger chats, right? Like, so I just really want people to understand that for me anyways, I could just speak for myself that those relationships and that platform and those bonds, like it is 100% life-changing. And it has allowed me to go through this in such a different way that I can't even, to be honest, I I don't even know how I would have gone through this or oh, same, I yeah. like if this, did not exist um yeah (laughs) but i think like again like i don't want to i don't want to go on too long but i just really would like people to know that um the value is so rich you know in the potential for the friendships and the bonds and the support and the brotherhood that could be developed because of something like this that it absolutely is life-changing
0: yeah, and just find your people whether that's man yeah. up to cancer whether that's whatever organization that is like yeah. there's groups out there Oh, yeah. there is a group yeah. out there for you depending on what you need in fact uh, like, you know a lot of the guys like these guys They're involved with man up to cancer and then they're involved with multiple other groups depending on what they need, right? It's like uh, fill your needs with with multiple, but I think the option like we always say like It's not an option to just go in your man cave and shut down. No let, Yeah, we're, we're avoiding that. Um All right. I need to get you guys in the gauntlet of random questions. There's a bunch of topics I didn't get to today that I wanted to. So we'll have to push that off to the future, like (laughs) the gathering of wolves and and what's coming up and the past ones and everything else. But we're over time because you guys are amazing. Um, Thank you so much for for everything. I realize that the gauntlet of random questions today is actually two Canada questions. Just and and um, I'm going to pitch you against each other because I'm going to have you guys guess certain things. And it's for bragging rights. Um, So two Canada questions and then a specific one that uh, Canada, but specific to Ontario. All right. The oldest rocks on earth can be found in the Canadian shield. How old are they? Jay, do you have a guess?
2: I would say, oh, geez, this can make me sound bad here. Let's throw a number out. old rocks. Let's say... uh,
0: Two million me years give me old. Give they're, they're very old. Yeah. Okay, what'd you two, say? Two million. Or two
2: billion. Two billion. Two, two
0: billion. Two, two billion. billion with a B. All right. B. All right, B. Jason. <laughs> how old are the rocks?
1: Uh, I think they are as old as the earth.
0: I'm going to need a, I need a number.
1: <laughs> uh, two billion and one. <laughs> in, in classic um,
0: Price is Right style, Jason Manoj has taken this one.
1: <laughs> no, I think it's...
0: 4.28 billion.
1: Okay, so I was going to say five was my number. No, okay, so
0: you're, clo- you're still closer. Uh, 4.28 billion years old, the rocks in the Canadian shield. All right, this is another one we're going to have to guess. Canada has the longest highway in the world, uh, the Trans-Canada Highway. How many miles? Sorry, kilometers. Jeez, stupid American. How many, how many kilometers? Hmm.
2: Oh geez! Oh, this is gonna be way off. I it's like I'm,
0: it's like driving driving out to dawn. Oh well,
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really bad with uh, distance. Or more actually, but, yeah. dawn and then up. Let's say, um let's say like fifty thousand. I'm probably way off, but I have, no, I have no concept of distance like that. So we'll just go with 50,000 kilometers.
0: That, okay. That's a Jay's lot of circumnavigating kilometers. the globe at this yeah. point with <laughs> kilometers. Uh, I, I think gonna, Jason's going to go two for two here.
1: I was going to guess um, about 6,100. It is 7821.
0: Okay. Oh. Seven thousand eight hundred twenty one kilometers. Now I know I learned so, something today. So Jason was pretty close. Yeah. Jay was just doing loops around the globe, which I kinda love, Jay. I, I love just, you for that. Listen, I just keep running, buddy. Just keep running. He doesn't <laughs> care. Shout out to Boyd. Yeah. Oh, and when you guys when you guys were talking about like wives like hearing like people's voices and stuff, so sometimes I'll have the Zoom meeting on and, and Sarah will be like, That's Jason Reese. Yep, he's just and then she'll come back, yep, Jason Reese again. So shout yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to the J man. Yeah. My, li- right. my wife
2: loves, loves the accents too, right? Because we have it on Zoom and she, she'll hear all the guys from different places. Oh, and she'll yes. just be like, oh my, that's amazing. Like some of them are obviously so strong. So anyways, sorry to interrupt.
0: No, no, you're good. This, that's what we do. Like, hey, this whole show is one digression. Yeah. Um, last question. And this is going to go to the first person who bl- blurts it out. But you have to wait until the question, the, the, uh, question is fully asked. Despite having just 200,000 people, this Ontario city is home to the largest Oktoberfest celebration outside of Germany. I'm stumping the Ontario residents. Despite having just 200,000 people, this Ontario city is home to the largest Oktoberfest outside of Germany. I think I'm stumped. I think I've stumped them. Do we need to call a friend? Should we call in Gary? I think we might... (laughs) (laughs) So, so you sorry you said um, you said city, city. Yep, two hundred thousand people. Holy jeez! It's
1: gonna be no googling. It's gonna no. be near the Muskokas somewhere.
0: But all right, well this one's gonna have to be a draw. Are you ready for the answer?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have no idea.
0: Kitchener, Kitchener, Ontario. No way. Do you even know where that is? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wait a minute. Does this come from the Kitchener Chamber of Commerce? Let me check my sources. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, you guys, you have passed the Canadian gauntlet of questions. I really appreciate you uh, getting through those. Um, thanks for being here. Thanks for your generosity and uh, showing up and and talking about things. Both, you know, when I when I started this podcast, I envisioned episodes where we would go deep and where we we, we would go light. And this conversation with you has definitely hit all those marks. So. Thank you for taking the time. Love you guys.
1: Yeah. love you too, man. Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure and, uh, I'll be waiting for our, uh, Tim's gift cards for that question for our prize <laughs> for the gauntlet of questions there.
0: Oh yeah. No, I can definitely <laughs> set you up, but I'll, I'll do it for a pub. Yeah. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> Thanks for listening to the man up to cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack Doors are always open.